HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are so excited to be sharing the recording from our Snacky Tunes Salon our second live event hosted at the Chow Now headquarters in Culver City, and we hosted it on the Monday between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Happy New Year to everyone who's celebrating. We brought in two of our favorite Jewish restaurants, Yangban and Friedman's. We had a great chat about how they respect the traditions of Jewish food and make it modern with their menu. We also talked about the rise in anti-Semitism and what it means to have a Jewish restaurant in this day and age. And they gave some advice for other people who want to take their own personal cultural experiences and turn it into their own restaurant and menu. Please note that we were dialing in the microphones at the top of the event. So if the audio sounds a little off for a little bit, that was just some technical issues, but it smoothed out pretty quickly. Big shout out to all of our sponsors, Livewire Cocktails, Ami Ami, and Skyduster Beer. It was a fun event, and we'll probably be doing more next year. But please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes Salon live here on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome everyone, Snacky Tunes on sorry, second one. Happy New Year, Shana Tova to everyone celebrating. And uh, it's great to see all of you coming out. Yeah. Before we get started, I wanted to dedicate tonight to my grandma who passed away this year. She was 96. She walked out of Auschwitz alongside my grandpa. And earlier this year, I was able to sit down with her and share her story on tape. So, since we're not celebrating the first night, the high holidays, our first time ever, uh, tonight goes out to her. And um, if you follow me on Instagram, you can see a link to the story to hear about it. But she was an incredible woman. Um, first off, thank you to Chris. There he is. Thank you so much. And Chow Now for hosting us. Livewire, Skyduster Beer, Ami Ami uh, for sponsoring. And then to everyone who helped put this together, Aaron, Jackie, Megan, Adele, Oliver, Becca PR, Luther, who's been doing our artwork forever, and Josh from Friedman over there. Uh, he will be putting out black and white cookies. If you all behave, you can all, all get one. Um, tonight was really exciting when we talked about doing an event. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of conversation about Judaism and anti-Semitism and all this stuff in, in the world in the last few years, and, and I thought it'd be great to do an event. It's the Monday during the high holidays. Rosh Hashanah was this past weekend. Yom Kippur is coming up. Um, and I couldn't think of three better guests than, than two of my favorite Jewish restaurants. We have Kat and John from Yangban, and we have Jonah from Friedman's and Greekman's, and I want to welcome you to the salon. Welcome. Um, as much as I like to think that you're all here for us, we, we did post the menu and there, there was brisket and salmon schmear and, and egg salad and matzah that was going to be served. And, and I know you probably came for as much as that as anything else. Um, but I want to ask you guys, what do you love about Jewish food and why do you think it plays such a big part in our culture? I think there's something that feels sort of like intrinsically nostalgic about it. It's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's comfort food. It's like uh, sort of peasant food, like especially if we're talking Ashkenazi Jewish food versus yeah. Sephardic Jewish food. Um, you know, it has, has humble origins and it is intentionally sort of uh, warming and nourishing um, because of, you know, the place that it comes from, right? Uh, and I think when I think about it, I just think about, I think about family. Um, and I think about the sort of, like, the kind of holidays that, that, that bring people together when you have that food. Yeah. Um, I think often stuff like, like, the sort of like more extravagant, like brisket and, you know, you don't, you're not eating that daily. So you, you really do associate that with specific periods of time in your life, specific holidays, specific family members. Um, and I think there's a certain, you know, like callback to, to those times that when you have that food. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What about you guys? What do you love about the tradition of Jewish food and what it says about right. culture. Um, so I didn't grow up culturally Jewish, but um, I grew up in the suburb of Chicago, Highland Park, Illinois, uh, which is predominantly Jewish. Most of my friends growing up were Jewish as well. And for me, the parallels between growing up Korean and 
I think Jonah nailed it. It's it's the humility and kind of that struggle of making something great out of very few things. And I think that's a great parallel between what I grew up with, with my parents immigrating here in the 80s, definitely going through struggle to kind of get their footing. And I think that, for me, is the biggest parallel. And it's uh, kind of intrinsic and very much kind of comes through in the food and the cuisine and the culture kind of surrounded around food as well. Hello. Um, so for me, um, I would say maybe childhood was a little complicated. Um, I was adopted from Korea when I was only three months old. Um, my dad is is Jewish. My maiden name is Weiner. Um, odd. And uh, my mom is Irish Catholic. And so growing up, um, without even knowing it really, I was always kind of in this odd place of identity. Um, I knew I was Asian. I knew I looked different. Um, but then on my mother's side, they were kind of like blue collar. Uh, we would have like Irish stew, um, a lot of pot roast, you know, Betty Crocker cookbook. But then on my dad's side, my Jewish side, um, my grandmother, she was like, um, a single mother of two boys, uh, and so that was challenging. She was also an English professor, um, so she was always correcting uh, my English and the way I was speaking. But more importantly, I um, from her, yeah, it was comforting. Yeah. Yeah. She would, um, you know, be boiling whole chickens and making matzo ball soup, and that's very different from like my mother's side, which is like Lipton onion soup mix and um, you know convenience, <laughs> like TV dinners. But my Jewish side, my grandmother, um, she always was like putting a lot of care into it, um, making latkes from scratch and, you know, grading them at her home and straightening them out. And then, um, you know, teaching us the importance of lighting the menorah and also reciting it properly and enunciating uh, as an English professor. Um, but she also, you know, she was very into the arts and she was a, uh, an English teacher and she uh, took us to Broadway for the first time. My brother, he lives in Studio City. He's an actor. Um, he lived with her the summers growing up and was in a theater program. Um, so for me, when I think of Jewish food, when I think of these holidays, it's definitely a time of like comfort, of family, um, but also she just brought this amazing element of art, which I think is something that we try to incorporate in our lives. Um, art, creativity, pushing boundaries, and uh, just doing whatever uh, you can for your family. Yeah, and I think family plays such a big part Mm -hmm. in this food and, and keeping that tradition alive. But, you know, you can't eat brisket every day, right? You can't have matzo no. ball soup every day. Um, and there is this balance that you have perfected of keeping tradition and knowing that you're eating food with a certain point of view, certain background, but also evolving it because you're a restaurant, you're a business, and you want to bring people in and things like that. And I think of, you know, obviously the, the waffle latkes, uh, from from Friedman's and then like the matzo ball mandu from from Yangban. So how do you how do you balance what's tradition, what's familiar, but with making it new and your own? And and what is the shift? And I think restaurant culture and allowed you to do in the last few years that may have not been able possible in the last few years to balance that tradition and the new modern thinking. I think I, when we started Friedman's, I noticed. You know, Sephardic Jewish food was really having kind of its its moment and its sort of like 
uh, introduction into into North America in a very very big way. Um, but at that time, Ashkenazi Jewish food hadn't really had that to the same extent. Like I, I saw a lot of, you know, nouveau and new school delis, but it, they were essentially making just like straight deli food with better ingredients. Sure. And that was sure. kind of it. It was like, let's source from a couple farms, but the food is, is the food. Like it's, it's traditional recipes yeah. presented traditionally. Um, and I think what I was interested in is looking at the kind of like essence of these flavors and, the ideas that are presented in Ashkenazi cooking and, and, you know, making that a little bit more modern, a little bit more fun and a little bit more accessible and a little bit more like an actual dinner restaurant. Because I think also delis typically have had a, you know, at least in some parts of the world have had a difficult time like operating at night, like as a proper dinner restaurant where you go and you, you know, you get a cocktail and you get a glass of wine and you have a proper night out rather than just like a big sandwich and a root beer. Um, so I think that's, that's sort of what I was interested in when, mm-hmm. in when we opened Friedman's, you know, it was the question of like, why can't I have a kind of elevated Reuben and a martini at the same time in a nice dining room? Why can't nice we all have room? that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you guys, I remember you guys had the deli counter to start and, and, and your menus evolved. So what's that journey been for you? Uh, it's been quite the journey. Um, for us, I think it was taking what Korean Americanism is and kind of mm. trying to flip it on its head. I think oftentimes these cultures get put in a box of how you eat or how you should cook. And for us, I think there is this somewhat of a renaissance coming in, coming of age of Asian Americans that are maybe sons or kids of grandkids or grandkids of immigrants or kids of immigrants and we're able to kind of explore some of our upbringing while also being culturally raised American. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us it was really important to be authentic um, and we often get asked where is the where is the Jewish influence coming from right and for us as long as it feels like it is coming from the heart it is coming from Kat's grandma's matzo ball recipe that's mm-hmm. in our dumpling those things feel right. And I think we're always searching for authenticity and it kind of exploring those boundaries through that lens. And um, with that kind of exploration comes this kind of style of cuisine that we've been exploring for the last year and a half. And uh, no, and a lot of that kind of is parallel with that search of identity and where we fit in and what feels right to be Korean American and what that means today. Yeah. Um, I think... For us to, um, you know, we spent nine years uh, working for Christopher Costow in the Napa Valley. Um, he's Jewish. I, I don't think by any means does he, you know, intentionally try to make Jewish cuisine. Sure. He more cooks California, uh, local, whatnot. But in working with him for nine years, we kind of saw those elements where, um, there were like little notes of being Jewish. And I think that was very inspirational to us and what we do, that it doesn't need to be so obvious, it doesn't need to be so blatant, but if it feels right, if it's something that makes sense to you, that you should absolutely incorporate it. Yeah, I mean, you can see it in a lot of chefs who are Jewish, but maybe don't put Jewish food at the center. And with both the restaurants, that's a big part of your personality and what you talk about. And... You know, look, we've all seen what's happening to a lot of Jewish people last year, the rise of anti-Semitism and 
And when you think about food through that lens as, as like political or standing for something, you are putting that at the forefront of your restaurants and a part of your story, especially when you talk to press or, or put out there. Why is that important to you instead of just saying like, we're going to, it's going to be there, but we're not going to talk about it. You're saying like, no, this is something we stand for and, and it's a big thing that we represent. Well, I think for us, once again, I think that understanding that struggle with identity, with kind of finding your place in the world. I think Yangban was always rooted in community, was always rooted in service to the community. And that was kind of its core values before we opened the restaurant, before uh, we even ideated anything else. We wanted to be, once again, coming from the three-star world, serving the 1%, mm -hmm. serving people maybe once in their life, maybe sure. seeing a few people uh, every now and then, but um, trying to expand our reach, trying to be able to apply these things that we've learned um, through various kitchens and being able to make that more accessible to more people. Um, amplifying our cuisine, amplifying food for more uh, guests and making it feel not so exclusive uh, as far as that skill set because you often only find um, that skill set in the higher level of cooking, quote unquote. Sure, sure. Jonah? Um, about why I hear you. you have Jewish food and like identity well, at the forefront. Well, it's, a, it's a weird thing for me because I, I've abandoned the Jewish faith and I now have a Greek restaurant. Sure. So, sure. But, um, but, that's fair. But I, I put it at the forefront, I think, because, because I, I, I was interested in exploring that kind of food. And I think I wanted to, if, I think in the same way, it felt really, it felt authentic. And to present a you know, to, to present sort of like Jewish American, like a Jewish American experience, because I think, you know, aesthetically, um, it, it, like in addition, I think the whole dining experience at Friedman's to me felt like authentically Jewish American, you know, at least that's what I was pulling from. Um, and I think I was just, I think that just felt like familiar and fun and it wasn't something that I necessarily had like, seen a lot of and I think mm -hmm. that representation was was something I was interested in exploring like you know there's I don't know I, th I think even now there's like I can't I'm trying to think of like how many restaurants I can name that that are really like authentically Jewish American in that Give way it room. Give it room yeah yeah it's uh, about it yeah yeah Kachka yeah Kachka right shout out to Bonnie yeah love Kachka um, um you know, you talk about your core values and you just talked about your evolution to uh, Freemans and Greekmans and Yangban, if you haven't seen it this last week, they just debuted their new design, which is gorgeous, both in aesthetic and menu. Um, but walking back into the restaurants, even after all the changes, you still feel the core value of it. In evolving, in redefining the restaurant as it faces outwards, what did you want to hold on to and what did you want to evolve? Um, I think, you know, again, we, we come from a background of providing a, a very curated experience. Um, and I think classically we're trained to put together like all of your best qualities and, and show them to everyone every night. Um, but I think for Yangban, it was really important for us to just be ourselves and, and put that out there. 
and knowing that that would take work and knowing that um, along the way uh, there would probably be edits that need to be made and, and evolution and growth. And so in this iteration of Yangban, and I, and I say this sincerely, this sounds like a PR stunt. Sincerely, I think we're the most excited about this chapter. Mm. Um, I know with the deli, I mean, I still feel like we're going to come around to the deli again, hopefully, in a few years, uh, Korean-American deli. But um, <laughs> I do also think that that was like a reaction to us really wanting to like be here for the community and get rid of some of the smoke and mirrors and remove some of the, the like, you know, the things that jack up the price and be humble, but I also think that that was us saying, like, I don't know who we, we didn't know who we were. Sure, sure. You know, we spent nine years, um, you know, mentoring under someone and, and doing, you know, helping them with their vision. So in this process, while we have opened three times in a year and a half, um, <laughs> this final one feels great because, you know, there was a part of us that I think missed a little bit of that background. Mm. Um, and some of that show and some of that intensity and some of that like attention to detail. So for us to get to reopen, still be doing food that is authentically ours, it's Korean, it's American, it's Jewish in some ways, um, and do it in a room that I think we're really proud of and present it in a new way that I think uh, will reach more people. I mean, I think we're, we're excited about this, this chapter. Yeah. And what about the Greekman's chapter, which is delicious on its own right, but still feels like you're walking into the old Friedman's? I mean, cause, you know, I think in part we did, you know, a $5,000 paint job, and that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was the extent of it. But um, I think, you know, to, like, it was, it's, it's, a, it's a restaurant that is, that is a neighborhood restaurant, and it sure. always was, and that was the intention from the beginning. It's, you know, the kind of like uh, awards were great, but that wasn't, that wasn't the point. The point was to, you know, hunker down in like this sort of Silver Lake Echo Park border and to feed, you know, the community in that way. And I think we've always tried to like keep our price point relatively accessible mm -hmm. and have mm -hmm. like a relatively like, you know, laid back approach, but hopefully relatively attentive, uh, you know, style of service. Um, I, I just feel like, I feel like in some ways it was just a response to, you know, me like coming from wherever I was coming from at that point and touching down in Silver Lake and figuring that like, this is sort of the, the vibe and atmosphere and this is kind of the restaurant that I thought that neighborhood wanted and needed. And it's also the restaurant I kind of wanted to open. Yeah. So, you know, it felt, it felt like, uh, uh, I guess natural and authentic in that way. And I think that's what we've tried to grab onto is, is how do we still try to have these like very, um, human experiences at tables, right? Like, I don't want our servers to be robots. I want them to be themselves. And um, I want that experience to feel that, like I want you to feel like there's a sense of community when you're walking into the, the restaurant. And I hope that that continues to translate. I mean, I think the great thing about both the places, other than being able to have the longevity to evolve and change, 
is that you are serving the community. Like you are neighborhood restaurants, but then you're also telling your story. And I, I think that that is where a lot of restaurants are headed now is that places that serve the community, you both have awards at a national level, which are great, but we all know that, that that does not mean you get to stay open for five, 10 years. We've seen a lot of things win awards and then unfortunately go away. So for people who are thinking about opening up a neighborhood spot, or opening a place to the community, but also tells the personal story through heritage or point of view, what advice would you give both in being kind to themselves and being allowing themselves the freedom to make the food they want, not being so stuck in tradition, but still having a nod to where they come from? Run a lean labor model. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say it's, it's a delicate balance because... Um, you know, you hear a lot of these restaurants being so deeply personal, so deeply about these hit, these stories, and we want all this to convey through the food and the style of service. But um, for me, the realization of being closed for a little bit, the 30 days we were remodeling, and being able to be a normal human being and eat dinner at a normal time with your family, <laughs> it puts things into perspective as to why people go out to restaurants, to celebrate, mm-hmm. to hang out, to catch up, to, to break bread with family. And... Sometimes as a chef, you lose sight of that. Uh, you lose sight of that part of what, what is special about restaurants and why restaurants will continue to exist. Um, so for me, it, the balance is do what can kind of gives you purpose, but also keep in mind that we're here to feed, we're here to be that forum for families to unite, for friends to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries. And that, for me, has been, I guess, the biggest inspiration to why Yangban 2.0 is going to kind of go more into that experience and explore mm. what that experience is for everyone else because everyone is there for a reason. And that was kind of inspiring to me as far as the exploration. I, th- I, think, that's a, I think that's a great yeah. answer. I think, I think he's totally right. I think, um, you know, generally, the, I w- would say it seems to me that like restaurant trends are headed either into like hyper experiential sure. or into fast casual. And the, the sort of like middle zone is really getting uh, screwed right now. And yeah. I, I think, you know, dining is more expensive than ever. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so understanding that when people are going out, like they're spending, you know, precious dollars and they want a great experience. They are going out to celebrate in that way. And they're going out to be with friends, and I think kind of rising to 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 that occasion is a is a, a very smart thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, listen. Speaking of celebration, we it's the Jewish New Year. There's gonna be a long day of fasting, so I'll buy a break fast. And I always think about this time as like getting together with the family and celebrating. So I'd like to ask, how do you break your fast, and what's on the playlist for this celebratory time of year? Playlist? Playlist or platelist? Playlist. I mean, I guess both. I guess uh-huh. your, your platelist for breakfast and your playlist uh-huh. for the stereo. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I think your life becomes right. We listen to the Yangban playlist. To, I, well, we make them still. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> John yeah. and I. Um, but it goes all over the place. I mean, I guess if I had to pick just one, it's, it's 90s. 90s R&B or hip-hop. But... Uh, 
we try to stay current as well. So, so I make sure, because we have some young guests, so I make sure I'm always listening to whatever's new, even if I don't like it, because I think it's important creatively um, to stay on top of things. And to, my grandmother did that. She embraced uh, like new ideas, and she always uh, was, was hosting dinners at her house with her young like English students, and they would cook. And so um, she was always one of those older people of the community who really enjoyed being with uh, younger members. I'm not so much. I'm cranky. So I... I, I force myself to listen to playlists. Um, but yeah, 90s hip hop. <laughs> as far as how we break our fast, we probably do like a, a traditional Korean brisket soup or something Ooh. like that. It's that very parallel as well. That's probably our move. Yeah. Jonah? I feel like I w breaking the fast feels like something I did when I was like still in living with my parents. I, I don't, I'm not... Uh, I'm culturally Jewish, but not not religiously. Sure. I, I I don't even think I actually fast on Yom Kippur anymore. You know, you Bad could just you. say you could but, say rugula and just we could just move on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, like, there is. I I do like. I think like just any kind of nice like yeah. any time to to sort of slow down and reflect and spend the day cooking feels like like a a good you know sort of version of that of breaking the fast. Yeah. Um, you know. Jewish yeah. appetizing food, always. Always. Way to go. Yeah. Um, so as we start to wrap this up, and, and you bring up a good word about reflection, because that's really what we do this time of year. Um, when people come in and dine with you and sit at their table and you've hosted them and they've enjoyed your, your libations and your courses and the music and the atmosphere and the great service, what do you want people to walk away with? What do you want them to think about when they leave and walk out those doors? Uh, I think at, at Yangban, um, we hope that everyone can find like a little something to identify with, even if it's subtle, um, whether it's in the food or the service or an element of design, um, just something that you can identify with um, where it makes you feel comfortable, reminds you of something familiar, yet is presented in a different way and then makes you question that a little bit uh, or makes you think about it a little differently. That's always been the goal. Yeah, I think um, just being able to go with it, uh, like leave a meal um, and be able to question a little bit about yourself. I think we all come from somewhere and that somewhere is very different for all of us. And be able to kind of reflect upon that and kind of sit in that area a little bit and kind of let that soak in. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's what it's at. I don't know. I think it, at this point, I just hope people have a... a, a Good time. I, I, like, I hope that uh, it was, you know, sort of like conducive to, to, to the evening in whatever way it needed to be, whether that was some sort of reunion or celebration. Um, you know, I hope that we could sort of be, be of service in, in that way. And, and then I hope they think, you know, when are they coming back? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Support your neighborhood restaurant. Yeah. Well, thank you all. Thank you for coming out, for doing what you do. If you haven't been to uh, the new Yangban, swing in. If you haven't been to Greekman's, swing in. We have black and white cookies because you all behave very well. And there's some drinks left. And uh, thank you again to Chris and Chow Now and everyone. And uh, Happy New Year. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. 
Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome Wisconsin back cheese. to Snacky Tunes. We have Ben Shirkin live in studio. How's it going? Good. Good to see you. I'm Ian White. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the hired gun. Oh, hey, hired gun. Hi. Bass player. <laughs> Bass player. Bass and guitar. Bass and guitar. Yeah. Ben, you were raised as a jazz guitarist. Yeah. What is it that... In a way. In a way. Well, in what way? And also, how does that differ from just regular guitar? And why did you lean that way as a young kid? So, in high school, we actually played in the jazz band together. We went to high school together. Um... And I would say, you know, it's mostly structured as you, you're reading music, you're soloing. It's a little more free form. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's more like music theory applied to it, um, which I'm not like the biggest fan of. I, I would honestly consider Ian like a way better guitarist than I am. I'm not trying to yeah, like flatter I, him. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just like different from the music I'm making now I still apply like sort of the same chord structures and uh, a lot of like major sevenths and minor sevenths that like find its way into my music now because of it. How does it get brought in or where do you think that it elevates your current music to something that's like so theoretical I mean dance, I don't want to say it's, you're making dance music but it's very four to the floor, very you know straightforward. How does the right. jazz weave its way into the composition? Yeah I think it's um, it's a good question. Um Really, the structure of jazz tunes, in a way, are not like a pop structure where you have like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and I think that has really like influenced my music in a way where I'm I'm not trying to structure it like I, a pop song. Um, I'll sort of weave into like new sections after one after another, and not really think about okay, this needs to be a bridge and then a chorus is sort of like melody. It becomes important, and that's like one of the most important parts and sort of vying, veering away from any sort of like normal structure in that way, that mindset. Yeah. And you were born and raised in LA. Yeah. And you did, a, you DJ'd a bunch of parties, house parties, yeah, clubs. Yeah, that's how I started. Where <laughs> where would you DJ and how would you get in? Um, so I, <laughs> I used to DJ at the Roxy. Um, there's like this club on top called On The Rocks. So I would do that. I had to play like seven or eight with a friend, seven or eight shows with a friend there. Um, it was like a, a stressful situation getting in every time because I wasn't 21 yet. So. Did, did they know that? <laughs> yeah, they they did, but they would still card me, and I couldn't bring friends through, really. Like, there was one time when I was trying to bring my friend to come see me DJ, and they were like, what year did you graduate high school? And she, like, paused for maybe 30 seconds, and I was like, wasn't it uh, 2012? And they were like, oh, okay, you can come in. Like, it was fine. But it's, it's like always, you have to deal with that when but, you're younger. <laughs> but even as even as like a young performer, it's like, I'm the DJ, wouldn't you just show up early and just do that, or you just always get carded all right, the time? No, they always like try to card you. 
I've had situations where I've played a show and I'm of age now, but we were in San Francisco like two years ago and they wouldn't let me into the crowd. They were just, they had like a little section for, for us to hang out in. And so you then, played and, and then they're like, you can't go past yeah. this area. And I had friends there too who were like in the, in the show. Just like, <laughs> so would you like stand by the barrier and just kind of like chat? Yeah, I was like, band? hey, what's up? Like I felt kind of weird about it. Be honest. Uh, <laughs> and what type of music would you play, and, and how did that evolve from your jazz guitar training into the music that you're making now? Yeah, so I mean, I played jazz in high school. I also played a lot of rock, um, so a lot of like the pentatonic, minor pentatonic scales that I was practicing find their way into my music. Like when I solo on my music live, like I'm usually playing like pentatonic stuff because that's what I remember. I'm not really taking guitar lessons now. Uh, I've been getting more into like synths and like evolving that side of me more um i even like recently stopped playing guitar like for the well, new music i'm making well you have like, ian that's yeah well i have ian yeah, that's my purpose <laughs> <laughs> what would ian do if you were also playing guitar if i if i wasn't playing guitar no, if you were playing guitar what would ian be doing ian would just be dancing oh okay. like naked probably yeah. maybe i do that already <laughs> oh, okay yeah you usually like to rehearse naked i would say yeah does it free up the creativity <laughs> yeah Free, freedom of body, freedom of mind, freedom of, yeah, place and time. Yeah. That's kind of a rhyme. Definitely. We also, like, live stream. <laughs> so we have, like, a cam show. And you can, like, pay. Yeah. Well, that's how you fund the can, project. Is it okay if we plug that? Or is yeah, it, like, of course. A little inappropriate? Anyone can plug anything. Okay, check out www.beshkincamshow.net. <laughs> it's $5 for a sub and, like, a lot of perks. Can you add on the EP? Yeah, yeah, deaf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the classic upsell. Yeah. Sometimes we're not upsell. even playing. Yeah, exactly. We're just playing our music while we dance. We're entrepreneurs. Yeah, very much so. Can we hear a song? Yeah. yeah. What so, are you gonna What are you gonna play for us first? Uh, we're gonna play the Roman Call, which is a single off of the last EP. That we play, so great. Here well, we go live on Snacky Tunes. <clears throat> Thank you. 
talk about how L.A. or you used L.A. to cultivate your identity and ideology. How did that city play into the music you make now? Yeah, so, I mean, L.A. is a super diverse city, as, like, a lot of people know. Um, I was really into the lo-fi hip-hop scene that was kind of going on there. Um, a lot of, like, beat makers really influenced me. Guys like Shlomo, um, the low-end theory scene out there. Uh, Daddy Kev, Alpha Pup, but then on the other hand, you have, yeah, you have like We Did It, which is like more electronic, and then uh, there's just so much music uh, out in LA. I think for me, it, it was a place to really find what I enjoyed listening to and actually meet people who were in the scene doing different things. Yeah. And what was it that shaped your, how did it begin to shape the, the dance music love and also your identity, which is really interesting? Right. Um, I would say just a lot of these guys and girls making music uh, out there were really focused on like how they looked in a way, I would say, and kind of their, their vibe, um, whether, like, for example, We Did It, um, which is a big influence of mine their whole idea of we're not just a music label we're also like a fashion uh line and we're also making like hip-hop but it's not limited to just that uh you can kind of do whatever you want and so in that kind of way it was a way for me to be like i don't have to stick to one thing as a musician like okay i can make a record that sounds a little more bubbly and light and like happy and then the next thing i do can be like sad and like the opposite and it allowed me to kind of get out of that mindset that I have to keep doing the same thing in order to like maintain a, a good where crowd do you, or something. Where do you think that mindset came from? Those constraints or those personal set constraints? Right. Um, maybe like <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's a that's an interesting question. I think that something that like pushes me or like was holding me back but at the same time pushing me was like my my mom who would be like, okay, I like the electronic stuff that you're doing, but, like, play guitar more and, like, sing and do this. So in that way, I, I started playing guitar and, like, singing more. And at the same time, it didn't, like, allow me to, like, make... I wasn't making decisions for myself. Um, so now I'm kind of opening up a little bit more, I guess. What brought you to Brooklyn? School. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm at NYU right now. Um, so... And I was living in Manhattan. Now I'm in Brooklyn because I'm trying to be a real, like, Brooklyn knight. It was always a dream of mine to, like, live in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? It has that kind of, like, aura. <laughs> How are you balancing school and doing the music full time? Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. I'm, like, I have to do, like, homework tonight. <laughs> so, it's not I do not envy ever going back. No, so I still have no. dream. I haven't been in college in, like, 13 years, right. and I still have nightmares about not being ready for a test. And I was like, I've been in school in years. Right. It yeah. sticks with you. Yeah, luckily, I'm, I'm, I'm studying music, so I don't have that many tests. It's more production stuff. It's stuff I like doing. Um, so I'm, I'm doing mostly music, some, like, philosophy. And what, what is homework and music education? What is just making music? <laughs> You're like, I wrote my new EP. Yeah, yeah. Or it'll be, like, write an EP, and I'm like, I wrote an EP. So I don't know. You're like, can I, can I submit this? Can I submit this? Right. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, you should do something for this class. And I'm like, okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, um, yeah. It's sure, uh, sure, all remixes, sure. and they're just actually demos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can we hear another song? Yeah. So. What are you gonna play for us? Uh, Lightning by the Sea.
Kamu yang nyumur gitu
when I first reached out to you last year, you were living in Berlin. This is true. What took you out there, and what were you uh, doing out there? Yeah, so I was studying abroad there um, and partying abroad there. I, I can imagine. Clubbing abroad. Take, take us through. Where did you go? Taking it in. Oh, my gosh. I tried to go to as many different places as I could. I mean... I went to, like, the main place, like, Berkine and, like... Classic. Tresor. So, like, saw a lot of techno. I, I'm really into techno. I've actually been DJing some techno since I've been out here under different names. What's the name? Pseudonyms. DJ Teen Dad. DJ Teen Dad? Teen Dad or uh, DJ 16 and Pregnant. So if you ever see those names, no, you know it's me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> what education did you get from being out in Berlin? Yeah, so there's a lot of like experiential education, um, just like pushing my limits, uh, challenging myself. Can I do also, 72 hours in Panorama Bar? Yeah, I don't know. You? Can I? I, I couldn't, <laughs> but that's just me. I love the way my voice sounds on this mic, by the way. It's really it's me soothing. I didn't know like um, Molly was a form of education. <laughs> But I learned, Ben yeah. came back and told me, so. Spiritual. I got to try it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, I was taking some, like, great music classes out there, actually. I was learning a lot about, like, analog synthesis. Um, also, like, more experimental techniques of recording, like, using a lot of, like, field-recorded sounds and doing a lot more with electronic music than what I'm used to in school. Um, learned about Bitcoin. I had a class on, like, Bitcoin and, like, cryptocurrency and AI so a lot of future, like what, what the future holds, um, which is something that I'm really interested in. And which is, that's kind of the reason I like dropped my guitar. I was like, I'm in Berlin. Like no one's playing guitar here. Like I'm just going to make electronic sounds and like stuff that like hurts my ears. Like that's fun. <laughs> After it was all said and done, did you see a shift in the music that you were making or, or what were some of the jumps that you felt in the creative process? Totally. I mean, I started using more synths. First of all, like I've been messing around with the Moog mother a lot. Expensive habit. Great. Oh, very. I, I don't know if I'm ready to get into analog synthesis because I know I'm going to have to drop at least five grand to really like start doing it. Um, but I'd love to. It's so cool. So like it, it works your brain in a different way than I think using a computer does or using like playing an instrument. It's totally like it's more like a, like I want to say like electrical engineering in a way. Do you feel the, sense. do you feel your education upbringing jazz theory plays into the analog synths in the way that it you can write music on it? Honestly, not really. Not, because it's like, if you're using something like a Moog Mother, it's like one note, right? That you're like sequencing a bunch. Um, so at that point, you're kind of just using your ears to like adjust resonance and like frequencies. And uh, it's less, for me, theoretical and more like intuitive, trusting myself. So between synth education, going to class, you have a show this weekend elsewhere. Yes. Where, who are you playing with? When are you playing? Yeah, I'm playing, so the show starts at 8, goes to like 11. Um, playing with this band, Blood Culture, it's a really cool band out here. And uh, this really cool producer, Jackie Mendoza. Um, so it should be a great show. I actually just played with her out in L.A., and we might start playing a few more shows together. Out here. And they let you run through the front door, 21... Show me your ID. Yeah, I'm fine now. No barriers. <laughs> Have a drink. Zero barrier. I mean, yeah, I've been drinking a lot. Like, it's good. It's good. I'm sure, like, some people who are listening to this are like, who the fuck is this, this kid? We were, I mean, we were, all, we were all 21 and in Berlin once. Exactly. 
Okay. Well, most of us. I hope. I so. mean, I'm 20. I've never been to Berlin, so. <laughs> okay. Well, you, you, have you have time. You have time. time. You yeah. Have time. True. True. It's what, an exodus. So you have to take it. You have to. You, you have to put in the. Yeah. You have to put in the time there. That's exactly. true. I want to make sure we get time for one more song. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? Get your EP. Find out about shows. Yeah. I mean, if you use SoundCloud, go to SoundCloud. Go by Beshkin, um, or Spotify. Both are really good places to find music nowadays. I don't really use Bandcamp that much, but you can find my music on Bandcamp. If you want to pay for it, that would be cool, but I don't really care that much. Bandcamp has been really good to artists. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. They haven't been, like, super good to me. Oh. But in general, you're right. In general, right. <laughs> well, I want to thank uh, Billy and Ariel coming on and Ben for and Ian for coming by. Um, thanks for listening. We will be back with the all-new episode of Snacky Tunes next week. What are you going to take us out with? I'm going to take you out with a song called Secrets off my first EP. So, yeah. Secrets. Don't ruin the secret. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Thank you.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.